Hello and welcome back to Touching Base PR Edition. My name is Jamie Gerke and I'll be your host today. This is the podcast where I help aspiring communications professionals create the careers they dream of. Through fun interviews with top-notch PR and marketing pros, you're going to gain a wide understanding of the industry and know how to make your mark. Let's do it. All right, this week we have an interview with Abigail Shakespeare who works at a nonprofit called the Mosaic Institute and she is located in Canada. So definitely offers some input from that end but also relevant information to everyone. We kind of talk about things like fundraising because that's a major part of her job. Working from home and kind of the camaraderie it created because we needed to make those opportunities to talk to each other also a little bit about commuting a little bit about zoom events a little bit about everything kind of so definitely such a great episode so excited for you guys to hear it before we do that personal professional highlights for the week professional note i got bored at 3 47 a.m and launched my name image and likeness education kind of brand I'm calling it stripped down PR because I truly, truly believe that at the heart of building your brand is knowing who you are at the core, being who you are stripped down. So I went with stripped down PR and on the Instagram account for that, I'm really just trying to educate athletes on building their brands and then hopefully getting brand deals, becoming influencers because they can now profit off of name, image, and likeness, and that's something I'm really passionate and really excited about. Personal note, definitely just touching about like highs and lows in life. I think that this week was a very, very difficult week for me, mentally, physically, just not in the best space, but I did start therapy like I was saying last week, and that was really great, honestly. I feel like you can hear in my voice that I'm just like not fully mentally here or whatever but it's fine um yeah just like we all have highs and lows in life and like this was definitely a low I don't really know if I have any like major personal highlights for the week but that's okay um kind of hopping out of that topic just wanted to again talk about the touching base PR edition summer internship panel taking place on March 15th at 7 p.m eastern it's going to be such a great event with such great guests and I'm just I'm so excited for it and I just want you all to be there and I don't know my brain is kind of totally mushy right now but I just wanted to talk a little bit before getting into the interview with Abigail so we can hop right into that one now. My name's Abigail. I um, currently live in Southern Alberta in Canada, which, uh, for those of you that are not super familiar with, uh, Canada, I live about two hours South of Calgary. So right above the, uh, us Montana border in a fairly small city of about a hundred thousand people. I, however, work remotely for an organize a charity organization that is based, um, in Toronto. So I do work remotely. Um, I live here with my partner and our teenage daughter. I have three dogs. Um, and to be honest, I spend a lot of time at my dining room table working these days. So now kind of starting with the hot seat segment, the first question I have for you is if you won the lottery, what would you spend the money on? Uh, okay. So I think it, first of all, it really depends. Am I winning $10,000? Am I winning a million? Because if I'm winning, winning a million. 
Okay. I was going to say, because I'm winning $10,000 to be honest, I'm paying off debt. Okay. If it's a million, that's a whole nother story. Um, I think, first of all, I would treat everyone I know to a group vacation. Um, you know, if I was winning 50 million, I'd be doing things like buying them all houses, but a million is actually not as much money as we all think that it is. So I would take everyone on a really great vacation in Mexico, somewhere like that. Um, and then I would buy myself a new home. I would, um, definitely give, um, some money to some various charities that I'm passionate about. And maybe this is very boring and almost 30 of me, but I would probably save and invest the rest. See, but that is so important. And first of all, I love that your first thing was not donating the money because I hate when I talk to people and they say, yeah, I donate the money first. I'm like, no, 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 you would not. No, you wouldn't. No, I'm you like, wouldn't. not first. You think you would, but you would not. Um, so I love that you didn't start with that. And then I love that you said vacation. And so where are we going on this vacation? Um, okay. So we're definitely going to a resort. Um, something that is going to have something for everyone. Because when I say the people that are closest to me, I'm thinking my parents, my sister, my sisters, sorry, I have two of them. Um, some close friends and their families, which means I expect there to be some kids. I expect say 20 to 30 people. So we need a resort that has a little bit of everything. You know, I want a pool and a swim up bar, but a beach. And I want the opportunity for some excursions. I think two weeks is too long. So probably 10 days um, somewhere that's far enough away that it feels like we're getting a vacation, but close enough that, you know, no one has to take off a month of work. It seems like you put a lot of thought into that one. You know, I often think about winning the lottery. Well, it turns out that working for a charity does not pay a ton of money. (laughs) So yeah, I often fantasize about winning the lottery. (laughs) So now my second question for you is what is one of your 2022 resolutions? Oh, this was really tough. So I actually yesterday had a 2022 goal setting, um, resolution, setting intentions for the year conversation with a friend. And we sat down and we really tried to, to work out what this looks like. And I've realized that resolutions don't work for me. Um, I, every single year I say, you know, I'm going to lose weight or I'm going to do this and do, and I never do it just like most of us never do it. So this year I decided that I'm, because I'm not a very routined person. Um, I tend to wing most of my life. And I decided that this year I was going to focus on routines more about the destination than the journey. So I wanted to have a morning routine. I wanted to commit to moving my body every day rather than saying, you know, I wanted to achieve X, Y, and Z. So today was my very first morning of my new morning routine. Um, so I have no idea how to meditate. This is not really, I'm not a gratitude journal kind of person, but I'm starting this. Everyone tells me that this has changed their life. So this was my first day of doing some breathing in bed and gratitude from the day before my skincare routine and all of this before looking at my phone. So I'm currently feeling very superior today. So I am also trying to get into meditating in 2022. And it was never something that I was like, I... I always looked at meditating and I was like, ew. Um, And then I like to do these online Pilates flows with this um, girl, Melissa Wood Health. Um, And her January challenge, it's a daily Pilates flow, but then there's also these little meditations sprinkled in. And I was like, well, if I'm committed to the challenge, I got to do the meditation. So I will also be trying out meditations and seeing how that goes. But like you said, I absolutely suck at resolutions. I hate that. 
So instead of doing resolutions, I said, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to have my things to do, and then I'm going to have my visions. So under like my things to do, I have like eat healthy for the love of God and be consistent with podcasting. And then like under visions, I have like traveling, make more friends, be a fashion icon. Okay. 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 So with that being said, then I think my vision was a little bit closer to yours. I think my desire of being a fashion icon has gone out of the window. Um, those days are long gone. <laughs> um, but I think for me, I really wanted to focus on, on traveling and, and not just traveling, but getting some new experience this year. You know, we've all had a very couple, a very weird couple of years and it feels like other than being quarantined, I've had no new experiences in two plus years. Mm-hmm. Um, and before that, to be honest, I really wasn't financially stable enough to have any exciting experiences. So that's a big thing for me. Um, and yeah, just really trying to invest in my own self-education. I'm really trying to focus more on um, like personal wellness just versus over constantly trying right. to focus on career wellness, I guess. And I think that finding that work-life balance is definitely something that so many people in like PR kind of struggle with because like yes. PR is not a typical nine to five always. So like yeah. it's hard to kind of find that balance sometimes. And so I think that's kind of the perfect segue into talking about PR and communications and all of that. So can yeah. you start by telling me where you went to school and what you got your degree in? Yeah. So Um, This for me is a little bit of a longer story. So I went to the University of British Columbia, which is in Vancouver, Canada. Um, Let's just say my final degree choice was a journey. So for any of you that are Grey's Anatomy obsessed like myself, um, I was originally planning to be a neonatal surgeon. Thank you to Addison Shepard. However, I failed first year chemistry twice. I I feel that. Yeah. I met with a guidance counselor and she straight up said to me, honey, doctors don't fail chemistry. So it's time to find a new dream. So at this point, I am in my second year of university and half want to drop out, have no idea what I want to do. So I just started taking classes in whatever was interesting to me. And all of a sudden I realized that I was going to be a political science major. That was what I was interested in. These were the classes I was doing the best in. And then the semester before graduation, I met with a guidance counselor again, and I was one class away from having a minor in English lit. So I added that on as well. So, you know, I'd really love to say that I was bred for communications from day one, um, you know, and, and the world that I live in now, but to be honest, it was a, it was a journey to get there. And I, I ended up with a degree that I really enjoyed doing, but that certainly wasn't the initial goal. Yeah, I definitely totally feel that I was obsessed with Grey's Anatomy too. And I started as a neuroscience major. And I wanted to be a pediatrician, but I thought neuroscience was a good idea because it like combines science and psychology. And I was like, oh, I'm going to work with kids. Like it's a good degree. And I remember my college roommate, when I first met her, I was like, oh yeah, I want to do neurosurgery. I want to be a uh, neuroscience major. And she was like, oh, so you're trying to be a shepherd. Please tell me you get that reference. And I was like, oh, I totally get the reference. I was like, we're meant to be. But my first semester I took intro chem, I got like a C. My second semester, I got a C plus, but that was only because I was talking to my TA on Tinder. So (laughs) he definitely just boosted my grade for that reason. Um, And so after my freshman year, I was like, this is not going to work out. Like, 
where am I going to get into med school anyway? And so then like you, I was also like, maybe I should just drop out. I was like, maybe I should be a makeup artist. Maybe I should just drop out, do makeup full time. Yep. Um, and then I was like, well, well, I still want a degree, but maybe I'll still just do makeup full time anyway. And then my dad was like, I'm not paying for your degree. If you're going to do makeup full time. Yeah. And then I was like, okay, fine. So then I thought I was going to be a math teacher and hey, I, started, I also oh, thought I was going to be a math teacher. I also went down that road. And so then, then I started I, taking calc yeah. and I took calc one in high school. So I was like, oh, I could do calc two. No problem. Literally failed the first test of calc two. My professor was like, some of you failed this test and now you can't pass the class. And without even getting my grade back, I was like, I know I'm in that percentage dropping the class right now. You know what? Um, I, I committed to a full semester of calculus in I, I don't know, my first or second year and I did okay, but it was still like I passed, but I mean, it was a bare, barely there. And it was an intro to calculus class. It was barely above a high school level. And the professor was like, Mm-mm, this is not for you. You are not going to be a math teacher. Okay, well, okay. I went ahead and I got my, I dropped the class, but then I emailed him and I was like, Hey, can I just come get my test anyway? Like just, just for shits and giggles. And he was like, yeah, sure. Like, here's my office hours. Like come by. So I go, I get the test. I got like a 45% on the test and I kept it in my car the rest of college to remind me why I could not go back to being a math major. No. Um, and then I ended up settling for an English degree. And I was originally going to do this like concentration in global culture and rhetoric. And then I hated every single class that it like related <laughs> to, but I thought like global culture would be a good idea because I was like, I feel like I need to know about people and like stuff to work in PR but then I hated all the classes. So then I was like, let's just do English. Okay. And okay. That is what I got my degree in. I also feel like this happens to a lot of people with psychology. You know, I feel like a lot of people either take psychology if they are dabbling in the sciences or they fall into English when they aren't sure what to do in the arts. I think right. this is very common. A hundred percent. And I, I think that's also what I loved about the English degree was that everyone I spoke to I was like oh well what are you going to do with that and everyone had like a totally different answer and that's kind of the beauty of the English degree is that it prepares you for so many different careers it really it's does. kind of like a beautiful thing it really does it really does you know I knew a lot of people that went to law school and I actually knew several people that ended up going to med school um after getting their their degree in in English or you know some kind of humanities Um, but there really is so much that you can do with it. I have a lot of friends that became teachers and nurses and so much with it. And I think that's, that's something that we really do, right. Is that we really, when you're in that, that undergrad college mindset is that you really pigeonhole yourself based on your degree. You know, Mm -hmm. I, my degrees in political science, I mean, yes, my minor is in English, but I was never going to be a politician. I was never going to get my PhD and teach politics at a university. That was not what I was interested in. You know, I, I, for a hot second, I was interested in being a lawyer, but again, I was focused on other things in university. My grades were never there. Um, so I think that, you know, when, when you're focused on your degree, you somehow think that that's going to translate into your career. And it doesn't necessarily do that, which I think is really interesting. And I think that that's the thing that a lot of people, like a lot of people in the older generation don't really understand yet. They don't really Mm -hmm. understand that like what you get your degree in isn't what you're going to do with your life. And I think like, yes, every time I told someone, oh yeah, like I'm an English major. They're like, oh, so you're going to be an English teacher. And I was like, no, 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 never. And like, well, I do think I could be a really, really awesome English teacher. 
not in the slightest do I want to do that. Yeah. You know, my dad still brings up the fact that he's, you know, my, my parents were really wonderful. They, they graciously paid for my university degree, but he still brings up that I'm not using it. Well, no, I mean, I'm not a politician. So I guess you could say I'm not using a political science degree, but I work a job that requires a degree. So I am using it, you know, and I think when you look at especially a humanities degree, the critical thinking, the writing, the reading, um, the analysis, you know, formulating your own opinion based on the opinions of others. I think all of these things come from, uh, you know, our transferable skills that you learn with a humanities degree. But I think when someone didn't go through that, it's really, really hard to justify, um, to justify that. Exactly. And so now kind of moving out of college, how did you kind of end up where you are now? What was your trajectory? Yeah. So how long do we have? So <laughs> time. Perfect. So, um, so right after I graduated, I had no idea what I wanted to do. I felt like I barely made it through, but I had a home to pay for. I, at this point had had a partner and we had a child. And, um, so I had, I got this terrible job working as a, I'm going to put big quotations around when I say business development manager, this was my title, but to be honest, that was a big old lie. I was making barely above minimum wage working for a virtual assistant company. Um, they provided, I don't know, various administrative support to different businesses. And at my one year mark, I had a really positive, um, review and they gave me a raise and I didn't think to even ask the amount of money. And then the next day I found out that my raise was 10 cents an hour. And at that point I was like, okay, this job has got to go. I hate the job. And clearly me doing a good job of giving, I'm now 10 cents above minimum wage to be someone's business development manager is not going to work. So, um, I really had no idea what to do. You know, I was 21, 22, fresh out of college, still, um, really no job skills. I was so poor that I couldn't afford to commute anymore. Jobs were scarce at the time. Um, so I ended up starting a small, I, I, at this point I lived in a small community of about 35,000 people, uh, about 45 minutes outside of Vancouver. So I started a small company with a couple of um, girls that worked with me and we were doing um, marketing and PR for small businesses and nonprofits. So we were doing some social media, the very beginning of of the Instagram era. uh, We were doing some grant writing. We were supporting events, lots and lots of event planning, things like that. And I really didn't like it, to be honest. I was still not, I wasn't making consistent money. I, you know, I, the only thing I really liked was being able to give these two or three other girls jobs in the community that I was living. And other than that, I really, I really hated it. Um, it just was not right for me. Remember when I said I was not routined, um, you know, being a business owner like that and, and having a startup like that, you have to be super routined and that, especially at 22, I was not. Um, and my dad called me one day, he lived here in Alberta, which, to, which is around, I don't know, a 12 to 14 hour drive from where I was living. And he used to own um, a construction and interior design company here in, um, in Lethbridge, where I currently live. And he called me one day and he was just about ready to retire. And he felt like he didn't really trust anyone that currently worked for him. And he asked if I wanted to come back here and um, take on the, the sales manager job at his store. And the money was better than what I was making. So I decided to commute. So what I did, I spent two years 
commuting every single week, a 12 to 15 hour drive. Um, in the winter, that would get up to 20 plus hours. And I did that for two years until eventually we moved out here. Um, and I had the store for five years. And then in 2019, after a really tough economy, um, really finding that um, dealing with people in their homes was honestly something that I just couldn't do forever. I found that people or customers, families, it was just really, really tough um, dealing with them all the time. You know, I was getting text messages at one in the morning. People were upset because the wrong light bulb came and I just, I wasn't doing it anymore. So I closed the store down in 2019 and then I actually got a job at a university and this was my first real um, communications job. So, you know, in my other roles, I had had communications positions, you know, I had worked in marketing, I had worked in PR, I'd worked in grant writing, um, you know, of owning a business, I was doing uh, full scale marketing for the business. And, but then I had my first real job working at a university and it was awesome. It was for me, it was like this light switch turned on and I was like, oh my gosh, the public sector, it allows me to make a difference in the world, make a difference in my community. The money was like nothing that I had ever made before. Um, I absolutely loved it. Um, so I was actually only on contract there for a year. Um, at the time, they actually went through a great series of layoffs. So when my contract renewal came around, there was just no real place for me um, in, in the midst of so many that they actually laid off close to, I think, 200 people. So there was just no way for me to renew a contract at the time. So then about just over a year ago now, I was out there looking and, you know, I knew that I wanted something in communications. I knew that I wanted something that would also make a difference. And I found my current job. Um, so I currently work for a small uh, national nonprofit called the Mosaic Institute. So they are a charity nonprofit that dismantles prejudice, uh, equips people with the tools to dismantle prejudice. Um, so we work with teachers and we work with youth to help them break down, you know, racial prejudice, really anything, um, just really focusing on diversity and inclusion. And that was allowed me to focus on my love for communications, my newfound love for fundraising, um, and really just apply it to the charity sector, which is something that I have found I am in love with. Yeah, so that, and that is very long. Definitely a long journey to get there. And it was. I'm so glad that you now have something that you love doing. And I want to talk about that. But first, I want to back up a little bit. That's just a totally random out there question. So when you were doing this commute, a million times like twice a week <laughs> this very long commute yeah what are your biggest tips for commuting what do you tell people for long drives what are your what are your recommendations yeah you know what um just get through it um <laughs> you know that there was this was pre-podcast at the time so this was like 2014 to 2017 so podcasts really weren't a big deal yet I mean you had things you, you had some on like serious radio but I wasn't rich enough for serious radio so there was so um I had a lot of music I had a lot of time thinking to myself but actually what was really beneficial to me my best friend at the time she also commuted uh, about six hours so only about half the time I was and we actually were on the same commuting schedule so her and I would talk on the phone our entire commute you know, every time one of us would lose service because we were going through the mountains, then we would call each other back. And I think just being able to pick up the phone and use that time 
to connect with the people that I just didn't have the time to connect with, whether that was my mom, my grandma, my best friends, or, you know, when I was driving, I, I've never been someone that liked to really just sit in my own thoughts. And that's probably something I should probably work on. But, um, so for me, I really use the time to connect with other people. I love that. I absolutely love that. And I think that 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 is so important. And like, I, when I'm going into my office, it's about 45 minutes on the way there can be like an hour on the way home. And I absolutely hate it because I'm like, there's so many better things I could be doing with my time, but definitely just taking in mind, connecting with people and like maybe picking up the phone and like actually calling someone that might actually be a really good idea that I'm looking forward to trying. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I found it really, really great. You know, it gave me an opportunity to have conversations that um, I I typically wouldn't have had, you know, at the end of the workday, you're tired and, you know, you know, you've got old friends that you, you know, maybe talk to a couple times a year. And it gave me the opportunity to really take the time to, to invest in those relationships. Yeah. So now kind of going back to your current job, tell me, a little bit about what you do. And I want to say on a weekly basis, since I know every day is probably a little bit different. So what are kind of the things you do on a weekly basis? Okay. So I have a lot of meetings. That is really something I'm trying to cut down on in 2022. Sorry, 2022. I keep saying Um, 2022, like 2020. 20 as well. (laughs) As well. And then I'm like, it is way past 2020. It sure is. Um, yeah, I'm really trying to cut down on meetings. I'm really trying to find this balance. Um, but so because I work for a charity and I, and I, my role is as the manager of fundraising. So, or manager of development is technically my title. Um, so I am focused on fundraising for, first and foremost. Now with that comes event planning opportunities for, for engaging people. You know, I need to be able to engage these potential donors and, and past donors in the material that we're doing and in the mission that the organization has in order to convince them to donate at some point during the year. So I tend to be typically have a couple of events on the go. Obviously right now, those events for the most part are virtual. Um, at least here in Canada, they are. Um, and I do expect that to go out, you know, for the next few months for sure. Um, hopefully I'm hoping we can get back to some in-person events closer, uh, to the middle of this year. Well, we're crossing our fingers. Um, so I tend to be working on a couple of grants at the top at each time. Um, you know, grants are another great way that I never expected to use my communication skills, you know, really trying to figure out how to take a mission of the organization that I work for and the work that we're working on and, um, and how can I use, communications tactics and how can I use words to be able to convince a corporate partner to um, give us money. Um, You know, I spend time talking to various donors. I spend time working with our communications team, um, looking at various social campaigns that we can have, again, to really try to convince people to take their hard-earned money and and contribute to something that's bigger than themselves. So a little bit of everything. Mm -hmm. So when you say you work in PR and you work in fundraising and you do all that, what do you think people don't really know about fundraising? Since fundraising is kind of like a specific niche of PR and of communications, what do people not know about fundraising? What do you wish more people knew? Yeah, It's not that bad. It's not scary. I think a lot of people don't, I think people are scared to even consider, or maybe just wouldn't consider it because it seems too salesy. And honestly, 
I can count on the number of times in the last year that I felt like a salesperson. Um, and so I just wish that people would keep an open mind to that. But as soon as they hear fundraising, they, they tend to just assume a, they're not going to get paid at all. <laughs> um, and they just assume, you know, that they're begging for money all day long. And it really isn't like that. You know, I think maybe once upon a time, it was like that, but now, you know, I'm focusing so much on how can we share our messaging in a way that influences people to make a decision. It, you know, at the end of the day, it's no different than doing that for a small business that you might work for doing it as part of a, you know, a boutique PR company or, you know, in, in a position such as yours, it really isn't any different. It's just, um, the end goal is different. You know, maybe the end goal isn't a number of likes on a post or the number of, um, you know, people reading an article that you've put in the local newspaper. Instead, it's the number of people that are, um, contributing to the mission. Mm -hmm. I definitely think a lot of people think fundraising is very scary. I was in an internship role, I guess, about almost a year ago at this point, and it was with my um, sorority headquarters from when I was in college. And part of my position on that was being a member of the fundraising committee and talking to alumni and getting them to donate money. And it's definitely can be scary at first. It's definitely like a when you're into it, you're like, well, what do I do? Like, how do how do I make people donate money? But it really is just about like cultivating relationships and communicating why you need the money and where it's going to and like what this is what we're doing, but we need your help to do it. Exactly. Exactly. It's really no different than any other um, PR job. It just, you know, the end goal is different. I think a little bit about fundraising that kind of makes it scary is that when you're working in PR and communications, a lot of who you're communicating with is you're communicating with the media or you're communicating with um, people, but you're communicating behind them, behind the facade of like a social media site of Instagram or something like that. Whereas with fundraising, you might be directly talking to actual people. How do you kind of feel about that? Like, what do you say about like talking to people? What, how do you feel? Like, what is your opinion on that? Honestly, I would rather talk to people than media personally. Um, I definitely find that, um, it allows me to create this connection. You know, I think when you spend all of your time working with media, you are, you really don't have that opportunity for connection. You're both in a position where you're just trying to get something done. You know, you're trying to check things off of the various boxes where um, when you get the chance to talk to real people, you know, you have the opportunity to form connections. You know, my clients or my donors become my friends and they, um, you know, I get to learn about their kids and their jobs and, you know, what they're interested in, what they're passionate about. And I think one thing that I've really loved is that you get a chance to see that they're, I think when you're the type of person that wants to do good in the world, it often feels like you're alone in that. Um, and when you work in fundraising, you can see that there's actually so many people who want the same thing. You know, they might have different political beliefs than you, religious beliefs than you, or, you know, personal values than you. But at the end of the day, they also want to do good in the world. And I think that it gives you this opportunity to really connect with people over that. Yeah, I'm kind of switching gears a little bit. Part of your role is event planning, engaging people, all mm -hmm. of that. So when you're planning these events for Zoom, because I know Zoom is like this whole platform that um, we got really comfortable with it in 2020. And then I think in 2021, we were like, oh, we can have events again. And now I feel like we're kind of digging ourselves back into that hole again where mm -hmm. we're going to be on Zoom again. So 
what are kind of your tips for planning events on Zoom? How do you go about um, still engaging people through um, the interface of a screen? Yeah, you know what? It's really hard. Um, I wish that there was, I think in 2020, I think that it was really easy. You know, you were able to get away with just giving sort of a minimum effort into what engagement looked like. You know, people were excited by this idea of breakout rooms and polls on Zoom. And and I think that it was really easy to emulate a an in-person experience, but now people are over it. You know, they don't want to go anymore. Um, so I would say that honestly, you can't. Um, I know that we're all still doing Zoom events, but I think where I've really tried to pull the focus now is how can we engage people outside of that? You know, how are we um, how are we keeping them engaged for something they're genuinely interested in on the Zoom call, whether that is a panel discussion, whether that is, you know, a very, very small um, piece of information, but then how are we using other tactics to get them to engage, whether that's social campaigns, whether that is, you know, live networking opportunities. Uh, you know, we, we had a fundraiser, a fundraising event last year where we sent little boxes to everyone that had a meal. Um, a t-shirt, some swag, some, you know, some great things. And and that was in their box. And so their online portion was really only 45 minutes to an hour, but their entire experience was really an entire evening. And I just don't think going forward that you, and maybe that's not what we're looking for here for me to say that you can't, but I really think that if we can go into these um, virtual engagement opportunities, realizing that, to be honest, people are burnt out of, of being virtual. And so how can we put our thinking caps on and how can we really start to revolutionize the industry and engage people differently? Yeah, and I mean, I'm sorry, I do not have an answer for that. No, I think exactly what you just said about how it's not just digital anymore is mm-hmm. that answer and how you sent those boxes with the dinner and the t-shirt and all of that to the people before the event. And I think that that's kind of understanding these virtual events is understanding that it can't just be online. What are we doing outside of the online interface? And I know like companies have done like cheese board making events, but you have to send the people the cheese ahead of time. You send them the cheese, you send them the cheese board and then you make it together on Zoom or something like that. That's kind of how we're doing these digital events now because people don't want to sit on Zoom anymore. So how are you enticing them to come on Zoom? Yeah, you know, I I actually had a friend recently went to a sushi making. Uh, It was a fundraiser as well, but they got all their sushi boxes beforehand. It was sponsored by a local organization or a local company. And they had a sushi chef on there. And then with the chef, they would have... um, various people come on. So this was for a charity and they would have one of the, one of the beneficiaries, you know, the people whose story they wanted to tell was there with the chef. And then the chef would talk to various people during this hour long process of making sushi together. And then the goal was, you know, that in your living room, you were watching this and interacting with this, with, you know, with your family, with your friends, whatever. And then you have the opportunity to eat that together. And, you know, and then it came with a series of questions, you know, what questions should you ask as your group of people? You know, what is that next step that you can all take? And I think that's really challenging us to think outside of the box. Yeah, and definitely talking about being home, these digital events, I want to switch gears a little bit into working from home because I know that you are still working from home. So for you, 
pros, cons, and your advice for working from home? Yeah. So I am a natural extrovert. So in the beginning, I was fine with working from home. And as I've mentioned now several times, I'm not very routined. So in the beginning, I, um, I loved working from home because I didn't do anything and it was really exciting. You know, I, it was like a constant vacation and yes, I would log on to work for a few hours, but you know, it, it, I realized very, very quickly that that was not sustainable. I had to get into a routine. You know, I had to get dressed every day. I could not be sitting in my pajamas. I had to, you know, do my hair and put makeup on. And, you know, I had to get into a full going to work routine and I had to give myself time limits. Otherwise I was lounging. If I didn't have a meeting, I was lying in bed till 1030. And that just was, again, just wasn't sustainable for, for my job. So um, my number one tip is going to be to get into a routine quickly for people that are working from home. Um, you know, so, so again, because I am a natural extrovert for me, it has been really, really tough. Um, I work at home by myself, you know, my, my partner is a full-time student, so, um, I'm at home alone all day long. And that for me has always been really tough. So in, I've now been in two different jobs since, um, going completely remote and I have had to really, really be intentional about spending social time with my coworkers, you know, so having weekly chats that are not about work, playing games at a bi-weekly lunch and learn, things like that. I've had to get really, really intentional about that. Otherwise, I am going to go stir crazy working from home. Mm-hmm. For sure. I think that's the biggest thing is like, so we lost when we were working from home is like, we know that we can do we know that we can do our work from home. We know that we can have meetings over zoom, but we miss that. Like the water cooler talk, the yes. Hey, how are you? Just like, like those random pass bys throughout the day. And that's the biggest thing that we lost when we were working from home. And so being able to replicate those just in chats, not about work is so important to continue cultivating that um, working environment. Because I always think that like, if you don't actually know your coworkers, you're not going to work well with them. I a hundred percent agree. And my, um, my working life has gotten so much better since I've really invested the time to get to know my coworkers personally. Um, and I will now say that I have some coworkers that are, that have become my closest friends, even though I've never met them. And I didn't expect that to happen. Yeah. And so now I kind of just have a few more questions. And my question for you to begin with is, I know we started talking fundraising as a part of PR and then I know you've kind of started when you first started your um, small company, it was marketing and PR for small businesses. So I think that marketing, PR, fundraising, everything's kind of becoming intertwined a little bit, whereas Mm -hmm. they once felt really separate. But I mean, people outside of the industry really don't know the difference. But within the industry, we kind of understood there were these differences. So for you, what do you think kind of the future of communications is going to be? Do you think all the things are going to be integrated? What are your thoughts? That's a really tough question. Um, I wish I would have thought about this beforehand. You know, I think that we're all, every industry right now is in a place of understanding that we all do better work when we're connected. You know, working in silos is just not working anymore. Um, The amount of opportunities we all have to connect virtually means that we don't have to work separately anymore. And I think we're going to find that in every industry, but particularly in the communications and PR industry is that everyone is going to continue to work together. I expect that, 
you know, within the next few years, people that are communications experts are going to have experience in fundraising. You know, they're going to have experience with media. You know, I think that that may make it more difficult for sure, but I think that we're going to start expecting people to have more um, of a well-rounded experience going into the industry and to really excel. Um, I think there's so many different transferable skills that go to different industries, but I really think that, you know, at its very core, regardless of what industry or, you know, as we've talked, whether you're talking to people or whether you're talking to media, you know, we're focused on engagement. Communications is engagement work. And I think that if we, we really, really look at the root of what engagement is, and that's just connecting people, then I really think that that is going to just keep being the core. I, I think that that core message is just going to keep getting deeper and deeper and deeper that our goal here is to engage and connect people. Mm-hmm. And so for a young college student or a recent grad, would you tell them to become well-rounded in kind of every aspect of communications, marketing, PR, fundraising, all of that? Or would you kind of want them to specialize? So I think I'm going to be in the minority here when I am going to say that personally as a young um, newbie to the industry, I actually think it's better to be a generalist. I know that a lot of people would argue that, you know, finding a niche is really important, but I think we're now living in a world where general skills are really, really necessary. You know, you can't have a job in fundraising without understanding social media. You can't have a job in social media without understanding events. You just, you just can't. Um, so my advice is to get as much experience in, in as many different aspects of communications and PR that you possibly can. And, you know, I think you can niche, you, you can, you can definitely niche down later in your career um, for sure. If that, you know, if that's something that you would like to do. And I think that you can niche down in terms of your industry, you know, if you're really passionate about, I don't know, saving wildlife, that's fine. But then I would get experience planning events for that and fundraising for that and running a social media account for that. And, you know, talking to media and writing for magazines around saving wildlife. And I really do think that we need to focus on getting more um, widespread skills. Mm -hmm. And so I kind of just have one more final question for you to kind of wrap everything up. And it's, if you could go back and do anything in your career differently, your college, your beginning stages of your career to where you are now, is there any part of it that you would do a little bit differently or change? Yeah, you know, and I think this is also a um, unpopular opinion. And I know that I should say something like trust the process and have no regrets. But to be honest, if I did it all again, I would do everything differently. Um, I moved too slowly. I made decisions out of fear instead of courage. I slipped into roles because I didn't think I was worthy of more. I took less money than I was worth. I did so many things in my 20s that I honestly do regret. And maybe regret isn't the right word. Um, So I think looking back, I would do it all differently. You know, Mm -hmm. I would come out of college and I wouldn't take a minimum wage job where I was honestly abused at work. I would not stand for that. You know, I wouldn't, um, I probably wouldn't stay in positions that I hated for too long. So I am, you know, maybe that isn't inspiring. So I guess the sort of that big lesson that I've, I've learned through this is, you know, is that we do hold all the power. And I think, especially as women, we often forget this and, you know, we hold the power to, to change what we're not happy with. And, 
yeah, you know, I think if I was going to do it all again, I would try to constantly remind myself of that. And, you know, I think that's what everyone's been saying lately. Everyone's been saying, I feel like we've gotten thrown around the term, the great resignation, Mm -hmm. where people are leaving their roles to do better things in 2020, 2021, now 2022. And I mean, I think the pandemic helped us realize that. And I think that a lot of like 10 years ago, five years ago, we didn't really think about ourselves we kind of thought about like oh this is our trajectory go to college get a job do your thing and now when we with us kind of realizing I think it's the realization that how of how short life can actually be and how fast everything can be taken away is kind of what's helped everyone realize that we don't need to be so stagnant yeah I agree but also you know I think opposite to what you said is that I think there used to be a point where, you know, you thought that, okay, I would make it to 50 and then I'd start working into retirement, but you know what, with the economies that we all live in, no one's, no one's retiring at 50 Mm -hmm. anymore, you know? So if you're going to have a career, you're talking about a potentially 50 year career. So, you know, you don't have to make a decision about what the next 50 years looks like at 25. That's not necessary. Mm -hmm. And I think that's something, you know, we all are like, you know, I'm going to graduate college and then I'm going to get into a job and I'm going to be in that job forever. Well, that is no longer the norm. That's not necessary. And I think that was also something with a lot of, um, I guess like right at 2020, when everyone started getting laid off from roles, it was like people that it's, there's these people that they're 50 years old and they got laid off from their job Mm -hmm. and they're like, well, what do I do now? Like, this is all I've known for the past 25 years of my life. And I think that, that is another reason why it's so important to like be a generalist and learn those general skills. Mm, um, that way we don't know what the future holds. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I totally agree. And I think by, by really focusing on having general skills that you can transfer, you know, you're not becoming, you're not at the mercy of your, of your singular position that you're in. You really have the ability to pivot when necessary. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, thank you so much, Abigail, for coming on and sharing your story and sharing your journey into the role that you are in today. It was so great hearing from you and getting to hear your story. Thank you so much. Um, I'm excited to join a pretty great group of people that have been featured on the podcast. So I'm excited. 